Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome into Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is the 20th of March, 2017, and this is episode 193. My name is Jake English. And I am Scott Magnus. On today's show, we'll talk to an Orioles media legend about the biggest news of the day. We'll also try to convince you to be a Baltimore Orioles fan. Hmm, that sounds tough. Yeah. And we'll do all of that right after we lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Scotty, what are you drinking? Jake, I'm going something simple. Uh, I'm doing a Jack Daniels with Dr. Pepper. All right. I will uh, I'll allow it. I am going with a trio of flying dogs this evening. I've got an easy IPA. I have a blood orange, um, uh, bloodline, excuse me, their blood orange ale. And lastly, we have a numero, uh, numero uno, which is their agave cerveza. So you're going to be wrecked by the end of this. Well, it's going to be a long, long recording. Why do you have so much beer? Talking about this team with you on a weeknight, it's a tough, tough task. I just figured it was your birthday or something. <laughs> Not anymore. I've been old for a while. I gotcha. Well, speaking about old ailments and stuff like that. Um, we can go ahead and dabble in the medical wing just next, but if people want to find out what we're drinking right next now, Jake, how can they find out what you're drinking for the rest of this evening? Because uh, that's a laundry list of beers right there. I am on Untapped. I'm at Jake E 4025 and I would love for you to be my drinking buddy. Let me know what you're getting into for your drink of the week and uh, basically show off your better taste than mine. And Scotty, what about you? Uh, when I'm drinking beer and not alcoholic spirits uh you can find me at magn8606 you don't always drink beer but when you do you're on untapped uh, absolutely and with that let's go into the old man section of the medical wing And it's only going to take a little. So, Jake. Do you think they told Tillman it was okay if he giggled? Um, I think after the quarter zone shot, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Chris Shillman. I'm yes. referring to Chris Shillman. Um, but yeah, Chris Tillman. Um, throwing program was scheduled to begin Wednesday. Team has pushed it back to Sunday. So it keeps getting later and later and later. That's a good sign, right? And team is claiming that there is no additional setbacks, but tossing from 60 to 90 feet. Again, this is not pitching, but just tossing is pushback. All right, I'm going to try to have a good thought here, okay? 
this all sounds scary, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to bring this into the, the, the right way to look at it. Scotty, I got it. Okay. This is a contract year, yes? It is. So all this is doing is making him cheaper to come back. That's, that's what I'm going to tell myself. This is just making him cheaper. Everything will be fine. I like that. I was also looking at one thing, too. Like, last year, I remember Gossman having the shoulder tendonitis to mm-hmm. begin the season, too. Do I think it's the same thing? No, I don't. I think T- Tillman's is maybe a little bit worse than that. But Tillman and Gossman were on a similar timeline where Gossman was not really pitching during this third week of March. And he was shut down, and we're just like, well, great. Gossman was supposed to be the great hope coming into this. This is, it was going to be his, you know— resurrection season be like this can be his star breakout performance and then you were this colossus you were this great legendary thing right and yet he gains yeah and then it, it feels like kind of same way with chris tillman where we're not going to get to see chris tillman until at least the end of april now potentially longer um and it's disappointing and it's sad but it's to be expected for Orioles baseball. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just I just talked about this on the Artificial Turf Wars podcast, uh, our friends up north of the border. Friends. <laughs> and uh, you should definitely check out that pod, not just because I was on it. Uh, but the thing... Friends. One of the things <laughs> that I said was that every year something bad happens to the rotation and the margin of error is so thin for the rotation anyway. But every year they seem to find a way to make it hurt less than it should yeah it let's they're not that great is the best way to describe it but yeah i always come back to and say this every single year if they're mediocre it's going to be fine so we'll we'll see what happens um the other one i want to cover was anthony santander um sore elbow recovering from shoulder surgery in the o selectum for row five draft had an mri arthrogram this week um where dye was injected into his elbow, but no structural damage was detected. This just seems like it's completely setting up for the eventual, we're going to put him on a 60-day DL because we've got no place for him right now, but we don't want to get him rid of the organization for the time being. Yeah, even if it's a legit injury, and I'm sure it is. I, I think um, it is a legit injury. I, but I think it is, wait for it, Scotty, Yeah, just what the doctor ordered oh. to keep him in the organization. Ooh, hello. Uh, we missed one. We okay. missed a, just a pivotal one. And this one, Scott, came in like a wrecking ball. Wade Miley came down with the flu. Gosh, can we stop it? <laughs> you started. You started this. First sir. of all, I did not start it. Masson started it. I just mentioned it on uh, on on this week on the Twitter. Yeah, but I had to figure out a, a cultural reference from after 1973, and if I had to learn it, I might as well use it. That's true. It looks uh, like everybody else is starting to come back though. Like Ryan Flaherty's coming back. JJ Hardy's coming back in the lineup. Um, everything looks okay is the best way to describe it it's just the tillman thing that's looming over and just the question is when and hopefully it's sometime during the 2017 season um but it's definitely the largest question mark that's still remaining in camp um with that why don't we go into a little bit more smaller details and 140 characters less this week on the twitters scotty i don't have to learn a new uh, cultural reference for this one. Jason Stark, we're going to start with him. He tweets at Jason ST. Leave it to Sergeant Pepper, Buck Showalter, to revive the lost art of Pepper in Orioles camp. With a nice picture and a link to his article on ESPN. Jason Stark makes this week on the Twitters just for dropping a Beatles reference. My hat is off to you, sir. Because we have lonely hearts here? Yes, yes. We get by with a little help from our friends. So, Jake, the answer is yes. All the yes. All the time. This tweet comes from at Sam Abate 
Uh, he tweets to us, hey, at Bird's Eye View BAL, you fellas seen these? Hashtag Cap 10 America. And the tweet is about OBP Apparel putting out their Cap 10 America t-shirts um, as part of the United We Grind collection exclusively at obpapparel.com. Folks, these are an art form in themselves. Check them out at obpapparel.com uh, where you can see the Cap 10 America t-shirts. Uh, definitely a must-add to the collection. I don't care about the WBC uh, and getting, getting in beforehand. This is a, a shirt that you can wear throughout the entire season to represent the captain. Scotty, I don't think our listeners should buy one. Oh, why is that? I think they should buy two. Oh, Comes and, and, in a multitude of colors, and the guys over you. at OBP are brilliant and witty, and you should buy all of their shirts. All right, so we said no more talking about the WBC, but we got to shut it down. This week on the Twitter needs to be devoted to one of the most fun things that has happened all this week, and that's Jones versus Machado. And that was a heck of a game and a heck of a moment. So, Jake, why don't you go ahead and take the first of the tweets that we want to cover for this given segment of Jones versus Machado. This is everywhere, but I'm going to go to the source. I'm going right to the Baltimore Orioles, at Orioles. Simply spectacular, exclamation point. Oh, I see what they did there. At Simply AJ10's incredible catch robs Manny Machado and Team Dominican Republic of a crucial home run and route to a at USA baseball victory. Hashtag WBC 2017 with some video, Scotty. Ooh. And uh, what does that video sound like? Hmm. I believe that video sounds something like this. Get well out to right center field. Jones still on the move, running out of room, and he makes the catch! The roar. The roar makes it. It's the it's that gasp, the local and then the roar. The, the roar kind of reminds me of why I love the replay of the Delman Young double so much. Yeah, because the almost inhuman noise of a bunch of humans making noise at the sheer sheer excitement of baseball is just it's a beautiful sound. It's a beautiful beautiful thing. So Jake, we talked on a recent podcast about the whole aspect of statistics versus real baseball and how some people feel that statistics undermine really cool plays so jake i'm here to undermine really cool plays with it to talk about defensive positioning so this tweet comes from mike petrillo at mike underscore petrillo who talks everything Statcast on mlb.com he tweets as follows adam jones has long been one of the most shallow center fielders in baseball on his great catch he was 14 feet deeper than his typical average do you know why? Jim Cause, Leyland? Because he watches a lot of Manny Machado. <laughs> Actually, it's probably the case he says, Manny's going to unload on this one. I need to back up a few steps. Uh, next, I want to go to a, a tweet that I can't do justice in audio form, but I'm going to try anyway. Because, most importantly, I want to know how much a getup like this costs. This is uh, a, a tweet from Cut4, the MLB property Tweets at cut four. George Washington. Please don't sue us. <laughs> George Washington is in attendance at the tender age of 285. He doesn't look a day over 30. Hashtag WBC 2017. It is a, a GIF or a video of a, of a fan waving an American flag with the circular star colonial pattern in complete George Washington regalia, goofy ass hat, white wig. It's awesome. If you don't get down 
with national pride in the WBC as best as best expressed through George Washington cosplay, I don't want to know you. What if you're going to be like Sam Adams cosplay or something like that? It has to be George Washington. What I, about Benedict Arnold? Uh, I, you mean Dan Duquette to the Blue Jays? Oh, oh. Anywho, let's move on to the anti-Dan Duquette, which is Buck Showalter. And um, Buck had some really interesting quotes um, about the whole thing. But the one that particularly tug at the heartstrings, I think, was this tweet uh, that Rockabaka put out at Mass and Rock. Buck quotes, the thing I loved about it the most was there was a Yankees fan that was trying to get into the field of play that he took it away from. Buck yes. knows exactly who his audience is and knows exactly the right thing to say to Baltimore fans. This is a situation where Buck didn't need to say anything, but he decided to take a little jab because he knew it was going to play out really well. I'm sorry, do I have an opportunity to poke the Yankees in the eye? Let me just get out my stick. Yeah. You know, we talked about Duquette, and I mocked him. Yeah. We talked about uh, Showalter, and you praised him. But there is someone else in the front office that's gotten a lot of attention this week, and I think maybe we should spend a few moments discussing that. We joked up at the top that we're going to talk to an Orioles media legend, but it's really not that far off. Tonight, we're joined by not only friend of the program, but prolific Orioles writer. You can find him over at Utah Street Report and also at MassInSports.com. Andrew Stecka is here to chat with us. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. So we uh, we saw something that happened today and immediately thought we, we need to hear from you on this. Also, you tweeted out and said that you could talk about it for about two hours on radio and it's spring training. And well, we need that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, so let's talk about this. The curious case of Brady Anderson as brought to us by Ken Rosenthal, a uh, very interesting article on foxsports.com. And uh, I mean, there are so many layers to this, but just briefly, you know, what was your reaction when, when you read this? And, and what do you think the key takeaways? My immediate reaction was kind of almost that it was not not quite to bombshell level, but it kind of it, it hit me like, oh, this it seemed bad at first. Um, it seemed like, the, the, you know, there was a rift, uh, you know, in the atmosphere and something bad was was happening in Orioles Nation. And then I kind of took a step back for a second and realized what Ken Rosenthal was was doing there is is, is spelling out a situation that that is indeed awkward. Um, but obviously it's something that the Orioles have made work over the last few seasons. Now, it may not all be roses. I mean, th there's been some definite turnover in the pitching coach department, and uh, obviously this isn't a team that has been a championship team to, by any stretch, but they've been pretty successful uh, since Brady Anderson was hired, and it, it, it kind of just painted a really nice picture for me, and, and it actually more so got me to understand more of what Anderson's role is within the organization, something that is really hard to do only because it's not really defined as, as Rosenthal stated in the, in the article, he, his, you know, Anderson's role is very, um, it's very much a hybrid role and, and he has to kind of strike that balance between front office and coaching. And it's something that he, I think 
he meaning Anderson recognizes that he needs to do. And I think it's a challenge of his job that he's trying to still accomplish. You know, it's interesting. And I want to get back to Anderson in just a second, but another layer to this article is I think that it's spelled out and also clarified and confirmed something that we've heard so many whispers of, and that is the fractured nature of the front office itself. You know, the article talked about the tension between Duquette and Showalter. It talked about some tensions between, you know, the players and ownership. And I think it, it, it framed the environment in which this awkward situation is having uh, going on with, with Brady Anderson. But it also gave a name to some of those tensions that, that have been going on for some time, um, which I think is a whole extra dimension of, yeah, it's this awkward thing. But even if you took Brady Anderson out of the picture, you have a little not dysfunction. That's that's too strong a word. But you have a, a little bit of tension in the organization but already. It's funny you should mention that because that was the first thing I thought. I was like, this seems very similar to what we've heard before. And I went back through some of Ken's articles on the Orioles over the past few years. September 24th, 2015, Ken Rosenthal had an article on Fox Sports saying, tensions building inside Orioles organization, which sure. we, we kind of already knew that this was the case, but Ken <clears throat> was again putting it out there for the national media. So we all know that Ken Rosenthal was a former beat writer for the Baltimore Orioles, wrote for the Baltimore Sun for many years. Um, and, and this seems to be um, somewhat of an MO for Ken. Ken's got enough sources, enough um, insight into the warehouse where he can get these stories out there. I don't think, like Andrew pointed out, that there's anything that is groundbreaking or shell-shocking. I think it's just interesting to see certain quotes um, that and, are present within it. And I think that's a really interesting point you make with Rosenthal being so plugged in. And a lot of, I know there's going to be a lot of fans who see who wrote this article and just immediately dismiss it. A lot of people look at Ken Rosenthal as a writer who only writes negative things about the Orioles. And I don't think that's the case, in, in, you know, especially in this instance. I think he was trying to paint a picture um, and trying to point out that there is a very unique role that's being served within the Orioles organization that I, I can, you know, I can't speak for the other 29 teams definitively, but I would guess that there are not many teams that have a, a member of their organization like Brady Anderson, who kind of bounces in between and serves as, you know, as a little bit of everything. He kind of has his, his, his finger on, on a lot of it. And I think you spoke to the dysfunction of the organization and kind of the, you know, the, the little bit of, I, I, the, I think the word I would use is awkwardness. I think a lot of that goes back to the man who Anderson has probably the closest relationship with, and that's the owner, Peter Angelos. I, th- I don't think there's any question that that's the reason that Brady Anderson has a job with the Orioles. And I don't think that there's any question that Brady Anderson will have a job with the Orioles so long as he wants it, as long as Peter Angelos is the owner. That's, that's how strong that that relationship is. And that's kind of where all of this starts. You know, it starts at the top. Yeah, and that will probably outlive Peter in the fact that, as the article says, he's also close with Lou Angelos. Correct. There's no, there's no doubt about it. And and like I said, that is where this whole dynamic uh, of Brady Anderson being in the organization comes from. It's from the Angelos family. He's he's close with them, and you know him serving that kind of hybrid role hybrid role that we're talking about. That's the reason for it. They they want him to kind of have his his fingerprint on as many parts of the organization as he can get his hands on. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause when I, when I first read, I had the same reaction that you did, Andrew, which was it came off as like, I guess I was like, well, am I supposed to take this in a negative light? Because when I finished the article, I didn't really see it as being a negative. I saw it as a situation where Brady Anderson um, was kind of interjecting himself into certain portions of the organization and trying to leave an imprint in, in a way that maybe wasn't, 
uh, organizational change, but maybe making a change on certain players. And we've seen that with players such as like influence on Nolan Reimold and Brian Mattis and, you know, in aspect of pulling certain players in and saying, hey, we're going to do some spring training conditioning in order to get you ready right. for the season. I think that to a certain regard, Brady has taken on a few small pet projects that are very um, – there's not a significant risk associated to it. It's not like he's going and dealing with Manny Machado or dealing with Dylan Bundy and saying, hey, Dylan, I don't care what Cheedy and Wallace is saying. I want you to go out there and throw the cutter next start and don't even worry right. about what they're saying. Right. The article the article talked a lot about uh, his Brady's work with Mike Wright right. as an example. I mean that's, that's, not, that's not Dylan Bundy. That's not Kevin Gosman, right. obviously, uh, that he's going in there and tinkering with. And you're exactly right. The other thing the article went into a lot about was, you know, how Brady sees himself and his younger self in a lot of these players and how he likes to try and almost fix them and go in and fi- and and help these guys who maybe their career hasn't quite taken the path that they thought it would. Um, I think that's a really positive influence and a, and a positive thing that you can have on the organization. Um, but there also needs to be a balance there. I think I, I think Brady Anderson and I don't know Brady personally. um, but I think he would be the first to say that, you know, maybe that relationship that he forged with uh, with Wallace and Cheedy maybe could have gone a little better. I mean, obviously, those guys walked out the door and, and are now being quoted on the record in articles like this as saying that it fractured the relationship. And I obviously the same could probably be said for for guys like Matt Wieters, who was quoted on the record as saying that, you know, Brady Anderson having a locker in the clubhouse is kind of a that's an awkward ordeal for them. And I, the other thing that this article taught me and showed me, and and really just confirmed for me because it wasn't something that I was really shocked by, but it's that Brady Anderson I think has a little bit of an arrogance about him. He thinks he can go in there and fix all these guys, and obviously that's not the case. You can't fix everyone. Not every player is going to be you know the next Manny Machado. Um, not every player is going to turn out to be a, a, a perennial All Star and a great player. But Brady kind of – I get this sense that Brady feels like he can turn a lot of players into that if they're starting to veer off course. And and to me, you know, the, the, the beginning of the article states it best, you know, that he's there for a job and he knows he can do a job for as long as he wants to because he knows he's good at it. There there was some, some smell of arrogance that I got there from Brady, which I, I'm not saying that that's a negative thing or, or a bad thing. I think that, you know, some arrogance can be a good thing. And, and I think Brady – you know, exemplifies that and, and is kind of trying to push a little bit out on the players as well. Well, you know, that arrogance is is oftentimes the difference between a good player and a great player. You know, that, sure. ar- that arrogance works between the lines. And the question now becomes, does that arrogance work in, in the front office or in his locker in the clubhouse or in his ranch in California or wherever he may be helping the organization? I, I think that the, 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 the question is, Will this work? Because, frankly, I don't know that we've seen enough to really score it one way or the other. And and the other thing that I, I would say uh, about Cheedy and Wallace is I have nothing bad to say about either guy. I mean, you're good friends with Dave Wallace, so <laughs> yeah, right. I, I really just want to thank him from all he's done. Um, I have nothing bad to say about either either guy, but let me just pose it this way. If there were an opportunity for there to be not a power struggle, but uh, this awkwardness that you speak of, don't you think that it would manifest itself chiefly in the member of the organization who has been called a micromanager, someone who has, Mm. um, you know, rubbed himself the wrong way in every organization that he's been a part of. Let me get a nose whistle in here. (laughs) Don't you think that if this was an overstep of Brady Anderson into the coach's area, that it would draw a pointed conflict with Buck Showalter? Well, I definitely do. And and the fact that you haven't seen that, you've seen Buck 
at least to an extent, go to bat for Brady. I think that says a lot. Now, some of that could be coming from, as I mentioned before, the top of the food chain, the very top of the food chain and ownership, because I don't think there's anything fracturing that relationship. That's 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 kind of where the a little more of the awkwardness comes into play, because you don't want Brady to have full autonomy to run in whatever way he wants. But you also know that he could probably get away with it because of that relationship that he has. But getting back to Showalter, you, you know, I, I don't think Buck is going to sit around and let somebody, you know, walk all over the organization in any way that they choose. He is the manager and he does make this, the, the important decisions on the field. So if somebody was coming in, whether it's Brady Anderson or you or I, um, if somebody was coming in and changing things or doing things or teaching things that he didn't, you know, didn't believe in and didn't want to believe in, um, I don't think he would stand for that. Um and, and I think that Buck Showalter has shown that he won't stand for that. And the fact that he really hasn't stepped on Buck's toes to this extent does tell me a lot about, you know, what they think of Brady even, you know, downstairs and down in the clubhouse. Yeah, and I think that's the bigger thing is, you know, there was the quote, there were some interesting quotes in there from Matt Wieters, who had some polite but unflattering things to say about Brady's presence in the clubhouse and how it was kind of weird and awkward in some instances. Right. But we haven't heard that from other players. And the other aspect is... You know, you don't see Brady down in the clubhouse every single day. He occasionally will pop in and shag some balls and stuff like that. But it's not like it's a daily occurrence. He's not down there like, uh, what's the one guy, the one kid that was in there with the White Sox back in the day? Uh, Drake. Um, Drake LaRoche. Yeah. Yeah, so he's, LaRoche no, he's, yeah. he's no Drake LaRoche is the best way to describe it. Um, Drake LaRoche has nothing on Brady's sideburns. And I come back to the point which we were talking about before of it's not like there's not other members of an organization in the locker room for other teams. So for example, let's talk about the Pittsburgh pirates. The Pittsburgh pirates have analysts constantly in the pirates clubhouse going through video, going through, Hey, this is something I noticed. Hey, this is something that's different with your swing. And there are people constantly coming in and out of that clubhouse to think that Brady Anderson would basically disrupt a clubhouse where you've got at least another 20 or 30 people coming in that clubhouse on a daily basis is somewhat ridiculous. And I realize, to a certain regard, they're like, well, but he's an executive vice president. But it's entitled as it is. I mean, and I don't think it's that big of a deal in all things, considering if the only concern is, well, he reports directly to Angelos. Well, Brady, to a certain regard, is right. All the guys report to Peter Angelos. If he's not happy with you, um, he's certainly not going to come back and re-sign you. And he's basically shown in the past that he's willing to get involved directly with negotiations when it came to such situations as the Davis signing as well. So as much as we don't think Peter Angelos is really paying attention to the team anymore, he certainly knows how to get involved when he needs to get involved. Oh, he certainly does. And I think, you know, what you, what you said about Brady's title and, and him, you know, executive vice, vice president. I mean, that's a, that's a lofty title. Um, and, and the fact that he has gotten involved in certain negotiations is, is a big deal for for any front office person, especially of you know of his relatively young stature in that kind of field. Sure. But at the same time, that the article that Rosenthal wrote also cited that you know uh, Buck sent him down to Norfolk to talk to the grounds crew uh, down there about the infield and the condition of the infield at one point. So no job is too little or too big for for, for Brady Anderson in this organization right now. And um, you know whether it's driving four hours down to Norfolk. Or, you know, talking contract with players. I, I think Brady is serving a role that is that is wide ranging and that kind of encompasses all of it. And whether or not he fits a role down the road that is one or the other or somewhere in between, uh, 
Um, I think that remains to be seen, but I also think, also think there's a little bit of an excitement to that um, in, in trying to find out where he fits. He's obviously, you know, he obviously wants to be in Baltimore. Um, he obviously wants to be helping out the Orioles. And, you know, I don't think that that's a bad thing for anyone. I mean, I think if you look at some of the, the interviews that Brady has given over the past few years, some of the notes that he's made in like uh, sites such as like Fangrass, Brady is a smart guy. You know, everyone titles him as, oh, he's a jock and he's this athlete, but he's got a really good statistical mind and is able to see the game in a light that not many players have. Darren O'Day was a player that surprised me in that similar light of he was able to see certain things during game and just be like, wow, you know, he's not just an athlete, but he also grasped um, the actual how the game ties together um, through it all. And I understand that that title scares people to a certain regard, but the same point is with everything that Brady is doing on a day in and day out basis, what kind of title would you give him? I mean, you've got to give him something. He's not a scout. He's not a trainer. He's almost like an assistant slash, you know, he's, he's everything. He's a hybrid. Um, so, I mean, I don't think there's anything yeah, and, to take out of that. And it's, it's, in, it's interesting too. I mean, when, when, when everyone was uh, scared a few years ago, that Dan Duquette was going to run up north and head off to Toronto, the first name that came to mind as a replacement was Brady Anderson. Yep. Um, he, you know, he he has been kind of lingering underneath the surface, if you will, in that role. But he's also doing a million and one other things, which are helping the ball club, or at least you know, with the intent of helping the ball club. Now, I don't know if fracturing relationships with coaches and then certain players who have now left and want to speak out, whether it's Matt Wieters or Jake Arrieta or, or anyone else. Um, I don't know if that's positive, but the guys that are here, you know, they, they may feel the same way that, that, that Wieters and, and Arietta and that Dom Chidi and, and Dave Wallace do, but they're not saying it and they're not going to say it. Um, everyone's got to kind of let this play out and see how it, how it all percolates. Um, if, if Brady is causing fractures within the organization, I'm sure that's something that will be revealed fairly soon, especially in light of this article by Ken Rosenthal that, you know, kind of bringing to light this this position that he's holding and all these different roles that he's fulfilling. I'm sure that that's something that will come to light much sooner rather than later because of this article. Um, but deep down, I, I don't think that there's any there's certainly not any malice in in, in, in or intent in that if it's happening. Um, and, and I think Brady's doing, you know, kind of just what he's been asked, which is just about a little bit of everything. And you know, the thing about the relationship with the players is interesting because Weeders can clearly say something now that he's gone, right? So sure. even if there are players and, – and Weeders, by the way, was one of the most respected guys in that clubhouse, right? To the point where until he was signed elsewhere, everyone in that clubhouse was saying, oh, he's not gone he's yet. He's not gone yet. He's not gone yet. Yeah. Right. So he, he, was might very, be back. he was very popular and, and that makes me feel like he has a – he's a pulse of that of that clubhouse. So – the fact that Man. the fact that Weeders says that does does pay me some credence. But playing devil's advocate on the other side, you know, if you if you as a ball player want to have better access to ownership, you know, like Adam Jones, I'm here, I'm well paid, I want to have my voice at least heard. What better way to have somebody who was a player, who has a player's mentality? who is not as far removed from his playing days as some of the others, who has the ear of Peter Angelos and Lou Angelos to be right. among you. You know, who better to to have on your yeah. side? Who, who better That's a great to point. watch you in the clubhouse go through the, the trials and tribulations as a player that you that you have? That's not necessarily always a bad thing. I mean, and back I think, in the no, day— No, there's no question. Yeah. And you brought up Adam Jones. I mean, if anyone 
if there was anyone on this on this current roster or within this organization that would speak his mind and say something that may not be looked at in a positive light and not be the one to wait until he goes off and signs a contract with the Nationals like Weeders did, if there was anyone who would speak out now while still within the organization, wouldn't it be Adam Jones? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. I mean, I kind of agree with you, Jake. I think this is a great, like, kind of a good thing for players. I mean, it's a lot better than a few years ago where in order to meet with Mr. Angelos, you had to go into Little Italy as Nick Marcakis and sit <laughs> down with the big boss and be like, hey, I haven't seen you in the in the clubhouse in several years, so I'm going to meet you for the first time. Um, it's It's definitely a different dynamic. And it's a dynamic in the clubhouse and with the players that certainly has proved successful over the past few years. Um, I think Andrew's right to a certain regard, too, though, of it's something to keep an eye on and make sure that it doesn't blow up in anything bigger. But to date, you know, we've seen Brady in the organization now for this will be a six year, basically. Nothing has gone wrong and nothing has blown up. There has been no turmoil or catastrophe or whatsoever. So I mean, we've come close for sure. There's there's definitely hey, been, it, been brushes with it's that, Orioles baseball. We always come close to exactly. disaster. <laughs> but I think to your point about Angelos and him, you know, not kind of not being around and 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 like you said, the, I think for fans especially, and and you guys know, I write from a from a mostly from a fan perspective, um, you know, wherever I go and and speak from a fan perspective, it, you know, from most fans, they don't really. I don't know, view Angelos in a positive light or, you know, hear about him much. They just have this negative connotation about him. And, and whether that's media spin or actual spin, they, they, a lot of fans just have this view of, you know, Angelos is, is tight walleted and, and isn't really around and doesn't really care. Well, like, like, like you said, if, if Brady Anderson has Peter Angelos's ear, isn't it good to kind of have that link between, you know, ownership and management and even the players, um, isn't that isn't that a nice little flow of information that can happen? Um, I'm not saying it's all going to be roses, but any any kind of highways that you can open up there and let the cars travel through, I think is a good thing. So let's let's take this to its next logical conclusion. Duquette's uh, time here with the Orioles is coming to a close. I don't expect that he will be the GM past 2018. Andrew, you can disagree if 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 you want to, but do you You'll be think, wrong? But <laughs> do you think that uh, Brady Anderson is the next GM of the Baltimore Orioles, or if not, a future GM of the Baltimore Orioles? You know, I I would definitely you know place a place a a couple of uh, you know a little bit of equity on that. Perhaps I mean <laughs> I I think that. I think that there's a really good chance. Like I said earlier, Brady Anderson has a role within the organization as long as ownership is is what it is right now. Um, whether that is as the GM or doing something like he's doing now, or on the bench in uniform as a coach, you know that remains to be seen. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with your with your estimation that that Duquette is out after next year. Um, I think that that's you know probably a little bit better than a fifty percent probability right now you know a lot can change over the next year or two um it kind of depends on how the team performs and you know the outlook is not great right now but it hasn't been great for the last four or five years and look what the team has done so as long as the team on the field continues to um meet or overachieve with expectation um i think duquette you know could buy himself a little more time uh you know i also think that there's a really good chance that if the next GM after Dan Duquette is not Brady Anderson, I think there's a chance it could be Buck Showalter. Totally agree. Um, I don't. I don't think that there's. There's. You know. You can put that past 
management to, to go in that route either and, and maybe use Anderson as more of still a second-hand man and a hybrid guy like we've been talking about. Um, that wouldn't surprise me either. No, I mean, it's definitely the case where Buck could easily move into that role and Buck could be like, hey, we're going to share the responsibilities as co-GMs as well so that Brady can get to the experience. And That's the- worked so well in the past. Especially with former players. Yeah. 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 I mean, it'd be interesting to see how that would work. But I I think that, you know, Brady has everything that you would want out of a GM, except for maybe some of the negotiations. And in reality, I don't know how big of a deal that is because when it comes down to negotiations, it it really just comes back to a legal matter and just making sure the CBA is okay. And at the end of the day, it's just like, well, how much money can we actually spend? And I don't think Brady is looking at it from how much money we can spend. He's just looking at, what's the best team I can put on the field if he were a GM? So Yeah, and, and you don't know how that structure works in, in every club in every club. You know, some GMs could be numbers guys and others could have people for that. Um so let me just let me just kind of take a macro look at this real quick. Andrew, Brady Anderson and his role in the club, detriment or benefit? I think benefit. Uh, I've always liked what what Brady does for the club. Um, You know, I think he's a positive influence on the players. Um, And while there may be some awkwardness that we're that we're hearing about now from former players, um, I think the guys that are there, you know, if if they wanted to speak out and if if they if they feel like they should speak out, they should speak out Uh, to this point. You know, cards are kind of on the table, especially after an article like this comes out and everyone's talking about it all day. Uh, and will be, I'm sure, over the next few weeks and months. Um, if, if it's a problem, let it be known that it's a problem. Don't don't continue to you know to sweep your dirty laundry under the rug. Um, you know that's kind of what this team this team has done a really good job over the last few years of you know keeping a lot of those things mostly internal. Um, but some of this stuff gets out, and and if if Brady really was a problem, I I, I would think and hope that more players would be able to speak out about it now. You know, within the front office, there's, there's, I'm sure there's some awkwardness there too. I mean, you, you know, Rosenthal asked both Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter who Brady answers to, and the answer was Peter Angelos. It wasn't either of them. So there's, there's certainly some, some awkwardness all around. But in the end, I think what Brady is doing in, in kind of learning, learning front office tactics, learning some coaching stuff, you know, he's obviously a great help. Um, as many of the players testified to with strength and conditioning, which is, as you guys know, is a huge part of the game. Um, I think overall he's a benefit. Um, if he was a detriment, I don't think the Orioles would keep him around. What about you, Scotty? Benefit or detriment, Brady Anderson, go. I'm going to put him a, as a slight benefit, but nothing significant. Now, if Brady Anderson were to pose shirtless with a dog in the Barks calendar, he'd go to 10 on that scale of net positive. But until he starts posting shirtless posts on his on, in the Barks calendar holding puppies, he's just slight positive for me. Well, I know I would have a lot more time on my hands if that happened because my wife would just be, you know, gone. She would be she would be busy doing other things and not paying any attention to me. Well, I, I think we would lose a lot of our wives and well, some of our friends as well. But my hands, Brady would be, Anderson, my hands would be taught full. me what a sideburn was. <laughs> when I was that's that's how much of an impact he's had on my life. All I know of, that when I know that when the Orioles were out here in Arizona a few years ago, uh, we went down for batting practice, and I actually got Brady to say hello to my wife, and actually had to you know catch her because I thought she was fainting. <laughs> so you know all of those things obviously are, are beneficial as well. It's it's great to have handsomeness around. Let's let's just put it that way. You know, the and other, yet we're here at Bird's Eye View, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 
present company exclusive. <laughs> for for old guys like us, it's also kind of nice to have somebody in the organization that we associate with the with the good times that happened before the dark period. Uh, it's it's a nice little bridge. And I, yeah, and isn't it interesting that he's he's kind of contributed to the current good times as well? I mean, that's that's not a bad thing. Absolutely. So, uh, Andrew, b- before I give you the opportunity to talk all about yourself, because I'm super interested, is there anything else about this article that we haven't uh, beaten into the ground that that uh, leaps out at you? You know, I don't think so. It, it's just a matter of it, it kind of like I said, it paints a picture of kind of what's going on within the organization. Um, it's not dysfunctional. It's it's maybe a little awkward, but. Look, the Orioles always do things awkwardly. I mean, they, you know, everyone tells them every year that they're going to finish in last place, and they, they simply don't. They go out there and they, they compete. Um, and this little five, six year run that they've been on has been, you know, a good thing. And, and it's been kind of under Brady Anderson's, not, not his watch, but he's been around for it and he's been helping out and he's been, you know, had an influence for sure. So, Andrew, look, uh, Brady Anderson, he's a dreamboat, but let's talk about you. Um, I neglected Not a dreamboat. <laughs> I neglected to ask something at the top of this of this uh, time together, and I'm I'm kicking myself. What is your drink of the week? Ah, my drink of the week is actually a, despite being out here in Arizona, is a local Maryland flavor. It is the Sagamore Spirit Rye Whiskey. Which oh, very nice. I've Ooh. been able to get my hands on uh, on the rocks. Just that's how I take it, and. Uh, I actually have a friend who has started working over there, so I'm going to need to go uh, visit and, and have a tour of the farm and uh, and see kind of how that's all all done when I make it back to town here this summer. Um, but yeah, that's I, I've been able to uh, bring some of that out in recent recent months, and uh, that's what I've been drinking on. Makes a mean old fashioned, just as an yeah, FYI. That's, yeah, that's the go to right there. Yeah. So you you write words and they are good words i try to i you, don't know if they you, i don't know if the words go into sentences and then into you write, but you I, write try to, s- I try to formulate them that way you write some of the goodest words around um and we goodest, we wait love it. we wait for these words <laughs> uh we can catch you thursdays right thursday thoughts at utah street report yeah thursday thoughts at utah street report.com uh i've kind of i, I told Derek arnold over there I, I need to limit myself a little bit this year uh, work has gotten busier and Life has gotten more hectic. I used to do like eight different topics uh, a week, and that just got to be too many. So I'm cutting it back a little bit this year. You're, but you're going to have fewer be, thoughts. It's, it's still going to be plenty of good content there, and just kind of musings. This week, we'll, I'll have plenty about this this whole Brady Anderson saga uh, to to you know kind of enlighten people hopefully about that. So uh, yeah, you can check me out on Thursdays there, and then uh, starting starting once the regular season rolls around, uh, I've been uh, fortunate enough to be welcomed back by the folks over at MassInSports.com. I'll be writing for them on Monday mornings uh, every week during the season there as well. All right, so sneak peek. What, what are you going to write in your first Monday? Come on. Oh, that's so funny. How far away are we? Three weeks? <laughs> two, two, weeks. weeks. I, two weeks. Two weeks. Days. All right, well, I guess I have a little more, little less time to think about it uh, than, than I thought. But honestly, those ideas come to me um, on, on a whim. Sometimes on Sunday they, night at 10 o'clock. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes there's not a lot of planning that goes into those, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it's just a, you know something that's happening. Um, and who knows? Two weeks is a long time. Something something could come up between now and then that uh, that I feel like writing about. But it is always kind of nice to to be able to to kick off the season. I've been able fortunate enough to do that the last few years for them uh, on their guest blogger rotation, and um, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to do it again this year. It's a it's a it's an honor and a privilege. Well, we look forward to reading all those words. Hopefully, we'll see an article somewhere about sideburns this season. Yeah. Right. 
best sideburns in Oriole history. That's I right. don't think there's any, uh, any other candidate other than the man we've been talking about this whole time. All right. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the show. We greatly appreciate it. We're looking forward to reading all your writings for this 2017 season. Guys, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Jake, I've got a question for you. All right, lay it on me. And it's a question that keeps me up at night some nights, especially after a really tough loss. And it's, why the heck am I an Orioles fan? Well, that's a very simple, simple answer to your very difficult question. Yeah. Poor taste. Yeah, that's, that's true. So there is an individual that has equally poor taste, um, and there is a post on MLB's Reddit um, this individual posted that uh, he's from Croatia. He doesn't know a thing about baseball, but since the new season was here, he figured he might as well find a team to root for. Um, so he contacted all 30 MLB teams asking why he should be a long-life supporter of those teams. And out of the 30 teams he mailed, only seven responded within one week. Others sent an automatic response or no reply whatsoever. And of those teams, the Baltimore Orioles were one of those teams. And what I found fascinating was going through the majority of the emails, most of them were kind of robotic answers in terms of, hey, you should really buy season tickets or be part of our, our, our season picket plan because you get all these benefits. And the Orioles really crafted a, a really nice message here um, talking about how the Orioles have celebrated 60 years in Baltimore this past season, how they have three world championships, American League champions uh, six times. Um, and then they go through some more recent aspects. And what's interesting is they put the, the video of the 30-minute post-game show that was after the 60th anniversary celebration so that the guy could watch it in Croatia just to get a sense of the history and the ambience and the culture, which is both Camden Yards and Orioles baseball. And they talk about the Oriole way and what Orioles magic is all about. And they talk about we won't stop as the playoff rally chant and how this has really embodied um, the Orioles over the years. They also talk about Orioles' reach and the charity and contributions that they do for here. So they give a lot of interesting aspects, and they give a lot of hyperlinks to other things that are part of it. Um, and certainly something that is not um, – it's, it's certainly not a, an email that is basically specific to it. They have custom-created this for it. Um, but I think this answer at the very end of the email or the letter to this guy really emphasizes it for me, which is – Personally, I've grown up as an Orioles fan. My parents took me to games as a child, and rooting for the team with friends and family is very special to me. I hope that you find this team special, unique, and one that you can connect with. I hope the Orioles are the team you choose to rally behind and support. For me, the Orioles symbolize fun, family, tradition, community, partnership, excellence, and magic. And that's something pretty awesome. So, Jake, the first question I have is, when did you start working for the Baltimore Orioles? <laughs> And second of all, um, this is basically the epitome of being a Baltimore Orioles fan if you have grown up in this area. But this is a guy that is in Croatia. Um, this is a guy that has no ties to his family taking him to a game or the team being any special. It is just a team in any vacuum or any silo. And there is a multitude of other ones, a lot sexier teams as they were to pick from. So, Jake, I asked you this question. 
If an individual from Croatia contacted you and said, why should I root for the Baltimore Orioles? What would you say back to them? Well, first, let me just give credit where credit is due. I have not started working for the Baltimore Orioles. The email was signed uh, by a member of the fan services team named Aaron Gannon. And I think that that individual deserves a lot of credit for a really incredibly well-crafted response. I'm sure they got some help from the PR department. I'm, but I'm sure they got a little help, but at the same point is that person— It was a very personal response. That person has a, should have a job for life with the yeah. Baltimore Orioles at this point. I don't care what it is. Job for life after this email. Go, go read that that email. Uh, it, was a, it was a great response. All right. So you ask me, what can I tell some guy from Croatia about being an Orioles fan? That is correct. My answer is nothing. I can tell a fan from Croatia nothing. Hmm. You're asking me for the 30-second elevator speech about the Orioles. And Scott, I can't do it. The Orioles fans that are new, and I, I do not mean any disrespect, and this is not... I'm not trying to use the word bandwagon. They have a different experience than the one I have. New fans of the Baltimore Orioles have every reason to love this team because over the past five years, they've been the most winningest team in the AL. They've been a playoff contender. They've been an entertaining team to watch. And that is all the reason you should need. And one that during the formation of my fandom, I did not have. This team was awful for 14 years which meant that by the time I was in high school to the time my child went to kindergarten, the team was wretched. And if you ask me then why a team, why a person should root for the Orioles, I would steer them politely the other way. So I can't tell you. Erin is correct when she says that this is all about family and tradition and friends and community. And for people here, there's no excuse to not root for the Orioles, good or bad. It's part of your lifeblood. You know, we we name our children after Orioles. We go to games even though they hurt us. I went to the 30-3 to game knowing that they were going to get pummeled by the, te- the Texas Rangers that night. I don't have an excuse or a good reason. So there's nothing I can tell this person from Croatia. It's a uh, Stockholm Syndrome at best. But... Now, why should you be a fan of this team? Why not? They're exciting players. They have a chance to win every game. And they're not perfect, which means that the season is exciting, sometimes even when it doesn't have to be. Is the team good? Yes. But during August and September, it's going to get dicey. And what better to get into than a pennant race when everything is on the line every day? This is not the late 90s Yankees when you're ahead by 20 games come August. This is a game, this is a team that has to fight and scratch and bite and claw its way into relevancy every month, every year. And it's an identity that some people can identify with. I think that's the key to being an Orioles fan right now. But, Scott, I can't answer this fan from Croatia because I am too close to it. I think you have to ask Steve Hardiman. Do you remember that name? Steve Hardiman, yeah. That's a good one. He's our, our friend from Australia who roots for the Orioles. And when Baltimore went through its struggles, he contacted us about buying a round of beer for an entire bar just to put a smile on the face of other Orioles fans. He had a connection to people that he didn't know, that he'd never see because of a baseball team. You want to know why people halfway across the world should root for the Orioles? Ask the people halfway across the world who root for the Orioles. 
Yeah, I, that that's a really good point. Um, I, I think to a certain regard, you know, there's a certain aura about the Orioles, and it's again who they play. And I know as a kid, um, I grew up, and again, I really was a big soccer fan. I like to try to follow the European Premier League. Uh, I have gotten away from that as an adult um, because I focused on kids and baseball generally. When I was a child, I was drawn to childish things. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but back in the day, I used to watch the the Premier League all the time and also watch the uh, the English Soccer League. And I kept looking at teams such as like Manchester United. I kept thinking to myself, gosh, Manchester United is like the Yankees. They have all the great players. They have all the money. They can basically make it for them, and they they can basically buy whoever they want. So who can I go out and root for that is kind of different than Yankees? So rooting for those underdogs to go against the behemoths is what I would come back and say, here's a team that is a low- to mid-market team that is going against behemoths such as the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees and struggling and getting by with players that you know on another team would have been scoffed at but the Orioles are finding some way to um, best these teams that are spending double than them um, and, and doing it on a very periodic basis. It's very similar to the whole Buck Showalter thing is kind of poking in the eye of the Giants saying, well, those guys can do it because if they make a mistake, they can just go out and spend some more money. But we, on the other hand, we can't do that. We've got to navigate and circumvent the culture. So from the aspect of trying to convince someone to root for a team like that, I'd say, Go and root for the underdog. Don't root for that team that's on ESPN um, that is always the favorite. Go and root for the team that is not covered. And uh, when they do win, it's a monumental success. Um, Leicester City last year winning um, the, the English English Cup off for soccer was a huge underdog. I think they're like a thousand to one to win the English Soccer League last year, and they managed to win. I certainly was not a fan, um, but. Those fans that were fans well beforehand can take credits out of it. Those people that jumped on the bandwagon, as you pointed out, well, they can say they got some benefit out of it. But those fans that were truly there beforehand and saw the bad times and then the good times, that's a really special moment um, for any sports fan. And that's who you should be rooting for. So just a really interesting aspect. Um, So, folks... If you had to convince somebody to be an Orioles fan, tell us at Bird's Eye View how you would um, convince them and what you know conversations you would have with them to convince them to saying, hey, you should be an O's fan. Tweet us your responses at hashtag O's fan, and we'll, uh, we'll respond to each one of you um, with whatever you come back at. But uh, again, we tip our hats to the Orioles when they do a good job. And in this case, Aaron Gannon, you get a tip from Bird's Eye View. So good job. Keep up the good work. Um, and we'll go from there. It's been a while since we've dusted off the good, the bad, and the ugly. But rest assured, Bird's Eye View listeners, the good, the bad, and the ugly is not going anywhere. It's just um, <clears throat> it's tough to do in the offseason when there's nothing going on between the lines. So, we're back. The good, and the bad, and the ugly, a staple of your week at Bird's Eye View, is back. And so, I'm going to start with the good. 
mostly so that Scotty can end this with these his uh, customary uh, excellent uglies. My good for this week is Adam Jones. Adam Jones is turning out to be one of Team USA's stars, and this is so nice. I, I feel like Adam Jones is a tier two player, right? He's in the tier of very good. He's a star, not a superstar. He's not bound for Cooperstown, and the Orioles won't retire number 10 unless they win a World Series with him in the next two years. And even then, it will just be a matter of his moment in history in addition to his play. Now, with all that said, it's really nice to see Adam Jones getting some love on a national level. He's a very, very good player, and he's having a very, very good tournament, both with the bat and, of course, with that play that caused a stir. So am I good this week? Adam Jones. Folks, I understand Adam Jones is really playing out of his mind right now in the World Baseball Classic, but people should be hyped right now for Kevin Gossman. Kevin Gossman's performance on Sunday was absolutely filthy, and I realize he wasn't going against the A lineup, but Kevin Gossman's control and utilization of his fastball, his curveball, and his changeup was phenomenal. He didn't even use his split finger, and he still was masterful. I think he ended with like eight strikeouts. Kevin Gossman is looking like he's going to go into the season and pitch his mind out. I haven't seen a pitcher pitch like this for the Orioles. When I was watching on Sunday, I said to myself, I haven't seen a pitcher pitch like this since Mike Messina. And I don't like to throw that around. I mean, you know me. I hate to say this over-exaggeration, but the hype train is real. Like, if he has that curveball working this year, watch out. I mean, it is going to be devastating. Um, It'd be nice to get excited about a starter, wouldn't it? It would be thrilling to get excited for a starter. So Kevin Gossman gets my good... I'm hyped. I'm ready for opening day. I'm ready to see what Kevin Gossman can do. And even if Kevin Gossman comes out on opening day, lays an egg, I'm still excited to see what Kevin Gossman can do for this entire season. Alrighty. Uh, I'm going to move on to the bad. And Scotty, mine is an audio uh, offering. My bad for this week was having to hear this. Hi, everybody. I'm Dick Vitale. I love baseball. You see, I'm here watching the Orioles just talking to Buck Showalter. Hey, I think you guys are going to have a great year, Orioles fans. You got bats, man. Unbelievable. You're going to go out there and see excitement with Machado, Trumbo, Davis, and my guy Adam Jones loves basketball as well. And what a fielder. One of the best in the game. Pitching is the key. They got to get Tillman back healthy. All right. I thought the best part of the Terps moving to the Big Ten is not having to hear this guy open his mouth any longer than that. Dick Vitale has no business talking about my Orioles, and I don't need that in my ear holes. You were bad this week, Dick Vitale. Bad. But he doesn't want us to beat up on his race. Just FYI. Just a sad old man at this point. He's always been a sad old man. Hmm. Wow, that's harsh. Uh, Speaking about sad, I'm going to go to my bad, which has got to be Abaro Jimenez. Um, As much as I'm excited about Kevin Galsman, Abaro Jimenez is pitching... um, as he has in the past, where he's in midseason form, he's in midseason form in terms of how bad he is. Over nine, um, I'm sorry, after over 12 innings this year or this spring training, he's got nine Ks and eight walks. I, I realize to a certain regard it's spring training and he's working out some of the the bumps in the road, but nothing of his performances this spring training have said, "Yep, he's going to come out and have that second half performance that he did at the end of 2016." I'm scared to death for Abaldo Jimenez, normally like I am. When he's on point, I'm just like, I don't know how he's doing it, but he's doing it. 
I, and it just scares me to death having to deal with a Baltimore as being your number three starting pitcher in this rotation. Well, I mean, first of all, he's number three. He's settling the bumps in the road because he doesn't want to trip on a pothole. Oh, and second of all, harsh. Abaldo Jimenez is the Tower of Terror ride that should attract uh, international fans of the Orioles. What better to do than sit on the edge of your seat every fifth day? Yeah. Uh, let me go ahead and dip into the ugly territory. My ugly this week is Tyler Wilson. He's in the running for the fifth starter job, and in Tillman's absence, and is unable to claim a spot that, frankly, should be his to lose. He's in the fifth starter race, but somebody needs to tell him. Uh, Many say that they wish that Wilson's brain could be put in Mike Wright's body, that that would be the perfect pitcher. But i got to be honest, it would be an awful lot better for the Orioles if he could simply perform in his own. In 12.2 innings, he's given up 10 earned runs. And that's just not going to get it done. And it seems like it's worse late than than early. He didn't give him any runs in his first two starts, so it's the last ten innings or uh, innings pitched that he's given up the runs, including uh, two outings in which he's given up four earned runs. Tyler Wilson needs to get it together. He needs to get it together because the Orioles need somebody to step up and take that job. So that's why he's my ugly this week. Jake, I love the World Baseball Classic. Everything about it has everything that we talked about before, but even started, we said, I kind of like the World Baseball Classic, and everything has lived up to it, and even more so. But you know what I don't like about it? Air horns. I am sick and tired of hearing air horns in the background for the game, especially when the game is going on at 1130 at night, and I hear, look, I love the festivities, I love the drums, and I love the aspect that L.A. Stadium has come out and said, we're going to allow stringed instruments into the ballpark. This is great. But air horns need to be strictly prohibited right there with cowbells from going into a baseball park ever again. I'm okay with even Vuvuzelas, but air horns are on my red list at this point right there with cowbells. Never, ever do I want to hear an air horn for a baseball game again. I have missed the good and the bad and the ugly so much. Only because Scott Magnus just dropped Vuvuzela in a sentence. Uh, this is the best. You know what it's time for? I think it's time for a blow in the save. So you want to take it? Yeah, let me let me grab it this week, and I will blow this save. I just want to express a heartfelt congratulations on behalf of Bird's Eye View listeners and readers everywhere. Congrats to Derek Arnold on the arrival of his son, Brooks, let me tell you something, folks. That is a lucky kid already. He's got a great mom and dad. And uh, hey, Brooks, welcome to Birdland. Yeah, welcome. So go back and listen to the second segment about why you should be an Orioles fan and do the exact opposite of what we just said. You know, become a better fan than that. <laughs> but seriously, Derek, congratulations. Um, welcome to fatherhood. It's, uh, it's a great experience. Uh, me and Jake can speak from personal experience. Um, with that, I guess we'll go ahead and break down the end of the show. Um, Jake, why don't you go ahead and, and, and start off kind of going and closing this whole thing out? Sure thing. Well, remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Birds Eye View is a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find this show on baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and also on baseballtalkradio.com, the home of great baseball talk. 
Bird's Eye View is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. We'd appreciate a rating and a review. It helps establish what's called social proof about this show and encourages new listeners to check it out. You can also check us out on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Google+, whoever uses that, and Snapchat. But the best place to find us is on Twitter, where you can tweet us at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I have nothing left. So I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. Oh, and in Croatia, be safe out there too, I guess. And Australia. And wherever the heck else all you people are at. That's the and beyond part. Baltimore and beyond. Oh, gotcha. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.